This is Denise Cueto. Welcome to the podcast of Broken, the suspicious death of Aladar and the end of horse racing's golden age. And I'm Fred Cray, the author of the book, Broken, the suspicious death of Aladar and the end of horse racing's golden age. Well, Denise, today was a big day for me. I got my book broken in its uh, paperback and it feels like it's actually happening. This is a big day. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this book and I, you know, I feel like I've watched you birth <laughs> this child uh, from the beginning to now. This is a big deal. Congratulations. You've done an amazing job. I remember reading the first draft of it and then what it's become. It's amazing. It's, I thought it was great. Then it surpassed anything I could have imagined. There are so many layers to this book. And you know, it's funny, you write this in a vacuum and you don't really, um, you don't really know whether it's any good. You go, you, you edit it so many times that you really get to the point where you, you can't even read it anymore. But, you know, I got a review from Kirkus Reviews and um, it's not bad. You've been getting some really great reviews. I mean, Kirkus, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but a few of the uh, things that they had to say, Cray presents a true crime book set in the high stakes world of horse racing and breeding about the life and tragic death of a thoroughbred racehorse in the 1970s. And they called it a heartbreaking but compelling story, meticulously researched and skillfully written. Cray's love of horse racing shines in his recaps of races and equine descriptions and his pacing and storytelling skills make this true crime work feel like a gripping thriller. Um, with this book, Cray has indeed given Aladar his day. And how That's does what that, I wanted. How That's does that feel? I, it feels excellent because it, it, it's... It's basically saying that I achieved the things I was wanting to achieve. I wanted to write this book so that Aladar's legacy would be remembered. Because what he's remembered by, by now is the fact that he came in second in the Triple Crown races to Affirmed. But he was so much more than that. You know, he was a, he was a great racehorse in his own right. He uh, beat Affirmed in the breeding shed by a far greater margin than affirmed beat him on the track. I mean, he had uh, four or five really great horses, Ali Sheba, uh, Easy Goer, Turkoman, Criminal Type, Althea. Uh, so, and the second thing is, you know, there's a lot of rumors about this case. And, you know, when I talk to people now, I'm on my social media on Twitter and Facebook, you get to see what people think they know about what happened. And you get to see how, wow, this book is really going to clear up a lot of the rumors that surround what happened to him. Giving Aladar his day, I really felt a heartfelt thrill when I heard that, written, when I saw that written. I mean, that was that was your goal from the beginning. I remember you saying and worrying, will his story get across? Will he be honored the way that he deserved to be and never was? Yeah. And I mean, the reviews say you did it. Well, now let's see what the people who uh, who read the book think. I, I am curious, and if we're going to get any answers, who knows? Why did you want to turn this into a podcast? You know, I thought it would be interesting to hear from the people I interviewed while writing the book. I think that listening to people's voices, their original voices, the way they talk, I always thought that it would bring more depth to the story and the characters that maybe you can't get reading. 
when you hear these people close to Aladar talking about him, you can feel the emotion and the love they felt for the horse, more so when I uh, write about it, which is a much more clinical presentation. I interviewed about 27 people, ranging from the grooms to the trainer to the jockey to the doctor, all the way to the investigators. The interviews were with some of the people who worked closely with Aldar and knew him best and who can help us understand him, the world of horse racing, and most importantly, what happened to him the night of it, he was injured, which ultimately led to his death. The interviews you'll hear are a collection of interviews I recorded while writing the book and some that I've recently recorded. I gotta ask you the most obvious question. What drew you to write Aladar's story? Well, I worked at the track when I was in law school in Nebraska, and I got a love for horse racing there. I saw the horses race in the stretch. I, I saw how they were taken care of on the backside of racing where all the, uh, the people who groom, walk, exercise, uh, muck the stalls. It's a whole nother part of horse racing that is not very well known. And I used to go visit the horses in the stall and I was just taken with the silent and wonderful presence that they had. When I was in Miami practicing law, I then went to the Florida Derby and saw Aladar run. And it was a magic moment because, you know, you're just sitting there in the stands and watching the horse race. And you think, what a magnificent animal. I think the thing that that uh, distinguished Aladar from other horses and that I saw when I saw him back in 1978 was his determination in the stretch run to win. I mean, you could just see him bunch up and his muscles would, you know, would get tight and he would reach out really far and you would just feel him like beating the ground with his hoofs and, the, and you know, the, the dirt would go flying behind him and you could just see in his eyes, you know, that he wanted... He wanted to succeed, and um, that was his one tool. Um, when you look at his racing, what he, he was known as a come-from-behind horse, he would stay back, you know, pretty far uh, in the race, and then in the, in the stretch, he would let loose and just run as fast as he could. You know, his ears would be pinned back, and you, you could hear his breath and his hoofbeats. He'd go, and his hoofs would hit the ground at the same time the determination and the courage that you felt in that stretch run were something that you, you would never forget once you saw it. Moving for the stretch, Alidar to the outside. He moves by very easily, takes over the lead, opens it out to three and a half lengths. Raymond Earl still holds second, go fourth is third. Sonny Songster is making a late run on the outside. We have a furlong to run, and Alidar has opened the lead out to six lengths. Raymond Earl still second, followed on the outside by Goforth and Sonny Songster. But as they're nearing the finish, it's Alidar just drawing away with the lead with every stride under the wire. Alidar, very easy, maybe a 10-length winner. But Alidar was this, this horse who really was determined to give it his all, and that's why people loved him. So, Fred, can you describe Alidar? Bring him to life for us. The thing that was outstanding about him was, you know, when you see a bunch of horses in a race, you really sometimes can't tell them apart. But for Aladar, you could always tell him because he had uh, white socks on his left front foot and his right rear foot. Um, and so if he, if he was running, you could look at his feet and you could know that it was him. He also had a little star between the his two ears. It was more in the shape of an arrowhead. Mm -hmm. 
but in horse racing parlance, that's called a star. Um, so when Affirmed and, and Aladar would race, and they would usually be the two front runners in a race, um, Aladar was a darker brown. They were both chestnut. Uh, Affirmed was more like a shiny penny. Wow. I mean, I, I've seen horses. I've been around. I've ridden horses. And I just, I visualize this majestic, godly creature giving it his all on the, on the track. And he was a very, you know, confident horse. He would, you know, he was, was kind of stubborn sometimes. They, they'd go to load him into the gate and he'd say, I'm not going. They'd have to push him in, you know. And he would, uh, he was, uh, he knew when his picture was getting taken, you know, he'd turn around and he'd flip his ears up. But after a while he'd say, now look, <laughs> I've been here for five minutes. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving now, you know. And guys at Calumet said, look, he knew he was the man. And he was because he carried the, the farm financially for 10 years. Aladar was born in 75 at Calumet Farm. And this was an era, the 70s, that many consider the golden age of horse racing because at that time, the farms themselves owned the horses and bred them. And so, for example, Aladar was bred by Calumet Farm and raced by Calumet Farm. The same thing with uh, Affirmed. Affirmed was brought up in Ocala and bred at a farm there and, and raced by them. It truly was still the sport of kings and it took a lot of money and there were a lot of uh, farms out there that had, you know, horses that were known and uh, that were raced by the farm. It isn't like it is today. It's it, today. You have a lot of horses that are syndicated, meaning that, you know, 10 guys can buy a, a horse, put uh, a certain amount of money in it, and then race it, and they would hire a, tra you know, a trainer. Back in the 70s, horses were really cared for at that time, which is not to say they're not now, but it was a personal thing. The horses were loved by the, by the farm and kept by the farm. You brought up Affirmed, and so there was a great rivalry between the two of them, it seems. There was, and many consider it to be the best rivalry in horse racing, period. Because they were so evenly matched, these two horses were 10 lengths ahead of the third the third horse in their age group. Because, you know, they run, run as two-year-olds, three-year-olds. So as three-year-olds, they were 10 lengths ahead of the anybody else in their age group. But what was interesting is that Affirmed was known to be lazy. So what he would do is, if he got in the lead and he wasn't really threatened by anybody, he would start to loaf. He would just start to slow down. And the only horse that he gave his all was when he was racing Aladar, which is what made this rivalry so great, was that there was one race, and it was the Champagne Stakes, where Aladar won the, the, between the two of them. And what happened was, you know, um, Affirmed was in the lead, and Darby Creek Road came up on his right, and he was saying, okay, I got you, Darby Creek Road. You're not passing me. But what he didn't see was Aladar coming down the stretch on the far right. And before he could even react, Aladar just went right past him. It's quadratic and affirmed on the outside with a firm now taking a head lead. Here's Darby Creek Road up to challenge him on the outside, and it's still a three-way battle. Aladar swinging to the outside comes on, too. It's affirmed ahead. Darby Creek Road, and Aladar's coming at him, and it's Aladar on the outside who has a head in front. He was a very limited horse in the sense that if you look at Affirmed, Affirmed could run from the front. He could get in the front and keep the lead the whole time. He could run from the back and come from behind. He was very maneuverable. Affirmed was the more versatile horse. 
in the Triple Crown. Aladar came in second to affirmed every time. He never gave up. And so in the Kentucky Derby, he came from 17 lengths back to come in second. In the Preakness, you know, he, he, he lost by a length. And then in the Belmont, he lost by a nose. And so each one, he got closer to winning. But a lot of horses give up. They look, I, I just can't beat this horse. I'm just not going to even try. But Aladar never did that. And so he had the, he was the more popular horse. He was the underdog. Not necessarily, you know, at the time he raced. Sometimes he was favored to win. But he had, uh, as Bill Knack said, you know, if these two horses were people, you know, affirmed would wear a fedora and Aladar would have a lunch pail. In your book, you interview a few of the people behind the scenes, the people that had more interaction with the horses. And what insight did you gain about Aladar? What was Aladar like? Well, the people who really know Aladar are the grooms. Um, I did speak to Paul Pryor, who was Aladar's groom uh, while he was at Studded Calumet. I'm Paul Pryor, the groom of Aladar for about nine, ten years. And do you remember the years those were? Uh, I believe it was probably around 1979 to, oh, probably... 80 or something like that. It's been so long ago. Right. Paul Pryor describes some some really funny instances where Aladar uh, got his mouth around his, you know, his bicep and all the grooms were going, oh no, he's going to break your arm. And Paul said, no, he's not. He's just playing around. And he, you know, he, he said, Aladar, are you ready to let go of my arm now? And the horse did. And that was it. And there was a time when, um, Aladar met the Queen of England, and Paul was told, look, when Aladar meets the Queen of England, you know, you got to be careful he doesn't bite her, you know, and you got to be careful to not talk to her unless you're spoken to first. 1986, Queen Elizabeth spent five days visiting 10 horse farms around Lexington, Kentucky. The Queen is considered one of the world's leading thoroughbred owners. Her horses have won all the major English races, except the biggest one, the English Derby. And on this private visit, she was eyeing that big win, hoping a Kentucky thoroughbred would be the one to beat. The Queen's visit was huge for the area. Experts say it would be impossible to put a dollar amount on the impact to Kentucky's horse industry. Uh, the Queen came uh, to town and, and uh, they said, uh, don't talk to her unless she talked to you first. Yeah. I said, okay, I mean, that's that's fine. And I, I took Allie Dar around there when she came. <laughs> they drove up in the circle there out front. And uh, so I put the uh, the shank on Allie and I let him, let him out. I put a couple of carrots in my pocket I figure I wouldn't want him snapping at her. And I said, well, I'm going to give him a carrot. Oh, he loved carrots. So he wouldn't bite at her. So I, <laughs> so I let him out, and I said, now, you got to be a good boy now. You don't get me in trouble. <laughs> so I let him around there and took him out of the stall and let him and turn left, go around the grass, and she was standing right there, and uh, I, 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 gave, I reached in my pocket, and I gave her, a, I said, I did say, ma'am, here's some carrots. He loves carrots. 
I said, you gave me some carrots. She said, well, thank you. And she she started giving him carrots. She's a very good horsewoman. She yeah. knew a lot about horses. She goes, he's a, he's a biter. I said, yes, ma'am, she, he is. She said, well, and she gave him a carrot. And she's, you know, he, of course, when he's eating, he ain't going to bite. Would you like another one? <laughs> A lucky day. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. And of course he loved it. She's getting carrots. And he she's patting him and he's he's being a real good boy. <laughs> and he you know, he ain't gonna do nothing. He ain't gonna rear up or anything. She's just patting him and he's being a good boy and she's just talking and, and being really you know, really nice. Yeah, he he he's just fantastic. He was, and uh, yeah. So, how would you describe your relationship with him? You know what? I love him. Yeah. I just love him, and you know what? When I heard that he did die, you know, it, 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 it's my sound corny. I had a tear in my eye for him. It hurt. It really did. On November 13th, 1990, um, he broke his cannon bone alone in his stall at 10 o'clock. And uh, that is considered a pretty mortal injury to a horse. Um, and so that is the date that we all remember about Aladar is the date that he got injured. So what are you hoping to get out of this? I mean, this has been decades. At this point, what do you want this book to do? This book was written in such a way as you can see on my website, all of the evidence, you can see the reports of the experts, you can see the pictures taken by Tom Dixon, you can see um, everything. And if you want to, you can go so far as to go to my website and give your own verdict of what you think happened. And so there's an interaction with the facts of what happened to Aladar and my website that I think is unique. Somebody knows something, somebody saw something, Somebody was told something. Uh, I'm not going to give up uh, looking into this. I've still got some leads I'm looking into um, about what happened to Aladar. Uh, and I'm hoping to get more leads. So if you go to my website, you can you know send me leads through that. But I sure wish that there's somebody out there who says, you know what, it's been 35 years, so-and-so told me this, and this will give us some insight into what happened. So this podcast is going to continue the work and take us on a journey to understand what happened to Aladar and hopefully solve the mystery about what happened that night. I think the book and the podcast will uh, give us really a pretty clear picture of what happened. But one of the things we're hoping is that through this podcast and the website and the book that there will be more specifics that come out from people who may know something more about what happened that night. 
And that means that you, the listeners, have the chance to help solve the mystery of what happened that night, November 13th, 1990. Thanks for joining us. I am your host, Denise Cueto. I'm Fred Cray, and thank you for joining us tonight. I hope you join us in our next episode. And if you have any questions or you have any comments or any information, tweet me at FM Cray on Twitter and go to my website, www.fredmcray.com. See you next time. Our podcast is a production of Hazeltime Studios. This episode was produced by Ashley York and John Fee, mixed and edited by John Fee. David Imani is our production intern.